The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's uh, show is entitled Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean, and that is the title of the new book, that has come out, co-authored by Richard Logan and Terry Duperalt, uh, both guests today on the show. Terry, as you may know, if you were around in 1961 when her picture graced the cover of Time magazine, uh, is a has a miraculous story of survival, and not just uh, not just in regard to what happened to her when she was 11 years old but how she survived um, since then. And as a psychiatrist, what I'm particularly interested in, her find, you know, it's so different from how we do things today. In those days, people tried to protect children by uh, not talking about tragedies that befell them. And uh, that, that in itself added to what uh, Terry had to survive. Imagine being 11 years old. You're on a sailboat dream vacation that turns into a nightmare. When the captain, you discover at some point, murders your family, you jump overboard and cling to a cork float until you're rescued days later. That's uh, the beginning, essentially, of what Alone Orphaned on the Ocean is about. And uh, there is so much more to the story, which we will hear about from my guests. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Richard, why don't you um, give us, for people who weren't there to read the 1961 cover of um, Life magazine, why don't you uh, give us sort of an overview of the story, and then, of course, we'll go into the fascinating details. I, I, I think you've given an excellent summary yourself, and there are indeed many fascinating psychological details to the story. Um, Terry, she was then known as Terry Joe. Her father, ever since he'd been in the Navy in the South Pacific in World War II, had dreamed of becoming successful enough one day to take his fam- the family he would one day have on a, uh, on a dream vacation around the world. And uh, the plan was in the fall of 1961, this is a family from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is an almost iconic small American city, as many people well know. Um, he did become successful as an optometrist, and in the fall of 1961, he chartered the 60-foot luxury sailing catch or sailing yacht Bluebell out of Fort Lauderdale, and it was to be skippered by uh, a war hero, Julian Her- Harvey. He was a retired 
lieutenant colonel. He had been a golden boy in the Air Force. He had had, had been had earned many decorations in World War II and some additional ones as a jet pilot in uh, in Korea. Uh, they sailed out of Fort Lauderdale in the early days of November 1961, headed for uh, a cruise of a week or two in the Bahamas. And uh, several days into the cruise, um, Terry woke up to hear her brother screaming, discovered her mother and brother lying dead on the uh, floor of the main cabin in a pool of blood, confronted the cabin, the captain, the captain pushed her back down below. She cowered in her own separate sleeping compartment for 20 minutes or half an hour until the boat filled with water. Uh, then she had to confront the captain one more time up on the deck, and she managed to escape and untie a float. And One of many, many dramatic, harrowing scenes in this absolutely true story is that just as she got onto the float that, that she managed to untie from the roof of the main cabin, the deck of the boat was literally falling away beneath her feet. And then she got off into the water, and half an hour after being awakened from a very, very sound sleep in a very blissful setting, she is absolutely alone on the ocean after having experienced instant horror, instant terror, instant peril, and instant loss of the most profound sort. And so then she drifts for four days, utterly alone. Nobody knows she's there. Um, ships pass by and don't see her because her float is the same color as the white caps, and she's wearing pale clothing. Uh, planes fly over and don't spot her. They, they had heard that the, sh the bluebell had gone down, and they were looking for survivors because the captain had gotten off the boat. Turns out he'd made up a cockamamie story about a, a storm breaking the masts and uh, the ship starting to sink and a fire broke out and everybody else was killed or drowned and he was the only survivor. Um, maybe I should pause there and you could uh, ask well, questions or Terry, you could add something. Go ahead. Sure. I think you did, did, did just great, Dick. Okay, thanks. You know, I well, should, I should maybe just um, say a word in here about uh, to explain the connection between um, Richard and Terry, and that is, this is Terry's story, of course, but Richard is an expert in the psychology of lone survival, and so that's how the two of them got together, and he became her co-author. Go ahead, Terry. What did you want to um, add to the synopsis? No, the, I thought that uh, Richard did an excellent job with, you know, as far as he got. I don't know what else you would like me to um, well okay well let's stop there and and then and go back to the be, sort of the beginning um you know there's just so much to so much to talk about um one thing i wanted to to uh sort of not lose in this is how your family you know was such a you had a bro at the time of this um that you your family went sailing it was your mother and your father um, you were 11, your brother Brian was 14, and your sister Renee was 7, right? Correct. And um, this was sort of like um, uh, a, a, a very warm, loving um, a picture of Americana, you know, a family, sort of the perfect family. Uh, at least that's how you describe it in the book. <laughs> Do you want to go into a little bit more detail? Yes, it was supposed to be um, a 
pre, uh, precursor to our, to see if we could sail as a family. And that's, that's why we did this. And, um, the trip was wonderful. We all did, you know, had a great time. We didn't get seasick, you know, occasionally here and there. And so, um, it was a dream. Yes, but and, now and, before and, the and, and before the, the trip, you had it was you had sort of a Norman Rockwell type childhood. I suppose you could say that. Well, no, correct me. I mean, well, one of the things that was sort of interesting was how you would go out into the woods and um, pretend that you were Tarzan and. Um, you made us a, a fur loincloth using skins of rabbits and squirrels that you had found dead in the woods, and you sewed that onto an old bathing suit, and then you prowled the woods, you know, sort of fantasizing that you were having these jungle adventures. Um, that, that's a little unusual for a, you know, for a little girl. What, um, what do you think, and, and you describe yourself as a loner. What, were there things that, um, you know, we're going on before you took this trip that that weren't so Norman Rockwell like, or that, or you know, why do you think that was something that you uh, enjoyed doing? Well, we I think first of all we were a very outdoorsy family. Um, my father would take us to the the beaches. We would swim. We would fish. Uh, during the winter, we did outdoor activities, tobogganing. Um, we'd watch him. His, the, do ice boating, and he and you know we did ice fishing, and so first of all, I was an outdoor child. I loved mm-hmm. to be outside. We also lived in the country, so you know in that case, you don't have children right next door to you. So oftentimes, you have to come up with you know your own games and such. And I just loved being outside and having forts and trees and um, drinking water that would run down through the creeks in the spring that was, you know, cold and clear and fresh and um, just trying to do my own little survival thing, and that was what I enjoyed doing. It was fun. I would eat, you know, various plants and things out in the wild, so I, you know, had a little bit of knowledge of survival. Doctor, if I could just add, I think the fact that she fantasized like this was a reflection of how secure and indeed Rockwell-like her life was, that her life was so secure that she had to kind of pretend that there was real danger in the world. I mean, I think that's part of the point. She, You know, Green Bay is a rock-solid, mid-American, middle-class community. Um, they, they had a, a very, very comfortable existence, uh, a loving father, a loving, a loving mother. They did all the kinds of things that we imagine the middle-class, a middle-class family would do and they, they were living the American dream, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, um, that you're engaging in these kinds of activities, playing, playing Survivor before the television show. Um, did you, what turned out to be very helpful when you um, had to play Survivor for real? Oh, almost Definitely. It was, it just, it was, I didn't fight anything. I just adapted to the situation. And I think that was a big part of my surviving. I didn't waste energy in uh, fighting anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and she was used to being alone. I think that's part of it. And, 
her being, her doing these things. It's one of the, one of quite a few really uncanny things about this story is that if there's any one 11 year old girl who could make it through what happened, it was Terry Jo Duperall from Green Bay, Wisconsin. In addition, she was blessed and still is with a very low key temperament. She's not easily upset. Um, sometimes it's a challenge to get her to laugh too, because she's pretty steady, uh, easygoing, even-keeled kind of a human being. So I think her pretending to be at at risk in the jungle when she was 9 and 10 inoculated her Mm -hmm. to some degree against the experience of being all alone, utterly helpless and vulnerable on the ocean. And I just wonder if a kid who'd had a more sheltered middle-class upbringing, how they would have... uh, Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have we would ever have known because mm-hmm. they wouldn't have uh, been survived long enough to be picked up. Right. Well, let's talk about let's have a little bit of um uh, let, let's talk about what actually happened on the boat that night. Um you know and, and also I guess continuing the story about um what happened when the captain got to shore and 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 so on, and he didn't know that Terry was alive. And why don't you continue with that, Richard? And then, um, and then I, I want to ask Terry about, you know, I, I guess one of the frustrating things in that this book is fabulous. I did, I couldn't put it down, literally, um, and I would certainly recommend it to ever all of my listeners. Um, but one of the frustrating things is that it is there are still so many unanswered questions. And um, and it seems to me that you know as frustrating as that is for a reader, it must have been it must be have been and be incredibly frustrating to have lived through that, where you still have to wonder about so many of these things. Um, oh, I hear the music. I guess we're going to have to wonder two more minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, but when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, about the aftermath. You know, after the captain was. Uh, rescued and then and go into and then Terry I want you to talk about what what you think um, happened what your current evaluation is or ideas of what happened on the boat that night we'll have to take a break I don't want to leave the story but we do have to do that my guests are Richard Logan and Terry Duperalt. Uh the book is called Alone uh, Orphaned on the Ocean you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with Terry Duperalt and Richard Logan. Um, Terry, they are both co-authors of the book Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean, which is Terry's true story. And Richard is an expert in the psychology of lone survival. Um, we, when we um, left the last segment, uh, I said that we were going to talk about sort of continue the story that you started telling, Richard, about what happened when the captain um, was rescued from the boat. Yes. Now, when, when Terry, Terry got off the, the sinking uh, bluebell, uh, the captain had gotten off just uh, literally a, a few seconds before and dove into after the dinghy on the other side of the boat. He was picked up the very next morning, um, and within a day or so, he was testifying before the Coast Guard, and he said that uh, uh, there had been a squall. Um, the mainmast broke, broke. It fell straight down through the hull and started the, the boat started taking on water. Gas lines were ruptured. A fire broke out. And he told several different versions. In one version, you know, plenty of, several people were killed outright in the, as the debris fell into the cockpit where everybody was. In other versions, she says people were injured and then they jumped overboard and drowned. Um, he started testifying to this effect um, a couple days after this, and it was right after he had finished his testimony that a Coast Guard officer came rushing into the Coast Guard hearing room with the amazing news 
that uh, Terry Joe, which she was called then, uh, had been had been found amazingly alive after four four days after the bluebell went down. The captain uh, sort of mumbled, went to the window and looked out and mumbled some kind of a vague goodbye and and left. And the Coast Guard officers uh, wondered um, what was happening with him. The next day, his body was found in a modest motel uh, bathroom, and it was one of the bloodiest suicides that... uh, veteran Miami police officer had ever officers had ever seen here was this gorgeously handsome hunk of man who had mutilated his body in the process he didn't just slit his wrists and get into a bathtub he had cut his neck he'd cut his wrist he and he he'd cut one of his thighs all the way to the bone if you can imagine what that would involve if you're only using a, a double-edged razor blade that you're holding between your fingers so the Coast Guard and the police took that as an admission of guilt, that he had something murderous to hide, and indeed that was what the investigation eventually concluded. So, and so, and this was upon, of course, hearing that indeed there was a survivor who could tell uh, a different story than what he was telling. Exactly. And, um, you know, the, the captain, Julian Harvey, had a very interesting uh, childhood and life, um, in the sense that I mean, besides being uh, r- reportedly very handsome um, and a war hero and so on, um, he his parents got divorced when he was very young, uh, and then he, and his mother was a chorus girl, and mm-hmm. she then remarried, mm-hmm. and um, he when she did so, he was sent to live with an aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it seems to me, and then he went on to have a succession of wives. Uh, the wife that he had on the boat, on the Bluebell, when it went down, was uh, his sixth, right? That is correct. And, um, you know, it seems to me that he had a lot of rage towards women, um, particularly, I mean, due to his mother having essentially abandoned him, rejected him when she remarried and um, sent him to live with his aunt and uncle. And, you know, when so underneath this sort of bravado, um, he and his, you know, the, his basking and being able to attract so many and attract so many different women who would then uh, be eager to marry him. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like with each divorce, I mean, he was the one who wanted the divorces for the most part, and with each one, it was uh, he was rejecting them. It was like he was having this, he was repeating this pattern of, of um, rejecting women because of how he had felt rejected by his mother. And obviously, underneath all of this, he had a lot of self-loathing that could account for his, I mean, and of course, with whatever the grief and the guilt and whatever he was feeling about what happened on the bluebell, but even before that, um, you know, it, it sort of speaks to a very early uh, self-loathing. Besides what had happened on the bluebell, right? And I think that's one of the things he hid behind this gorgeous mask—not uh, just his physical appearance, but you know, the stature he later attained as a war hero and as a dramatic romantic. Figure, but I think you're absolutely right. He used women as objects 
And, you know, then there could be a debate about whether he suffered more from a severe narcissistic disorder or a severe sociopathic disorder. And I know that there are some people who say those are incompatible. No, there are a lot of people who have both. (laughs) And there are a lot of people who have both, exactly. No, I think you're you're spot on to something. Um, We are, by the way, working on a a supplement chapter which will deal with the psychology involved that's touched on rather uh, uh, lightly um, in several respects in the book because we didn't want it to be a psychology book. We wanted to tell a story. Um, well, so, Terry, um, tell us about what, what you are, as of you know, today, uh, almost 50 years later, what, is your, what was it like for you being on the boat? Just take us to that scene, what you, what you saw and heard and how you felt. Okay, um, when I was awakened with my brother's screams, it was it was the type of a scream that um, you knew something terribly wrong had happened. And so at that at that point, my heart was beating, and I was just you know sort of waiting and waiting to see if there was more I could hear, or if, if you know more was happening, whatever. And I was on high alert, and um, and when I went up on the when I went out my door and I saw my mother and brother lying there. I didn't go over to them, touch them or anything. I just looked at them and I, I, I've always felt guilty about that. Why, did, why didn't I go over and, you know, see how they were or talk mm-hmm. to them or something? But I, I think I must have known subconsciously that they were deceased. Um, as I went up the stairs and saw the captain, uh, when he came toward me, he was very, very angry. He had a rolling eye, and as a result of that rolling eye, I've always, when I see someone uh, with that rolling eye, it's like it brings me back there. Yes, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And um, and then when I was back in my bunk, uh, you know, every time I, a new situation would arise, say, for instance, when the water started, when I st- started hearing water, I thought that the captain was washing away the blood. And what was happening was the water was filling the boat and it was starting to sink. So, um, and at one point when he came in to open the door of my cabin with his, with the rifle in his hand, you know, we just had eye contact. We just stared at each other and no one said anything and then he backed out. So, I didn't at that time, but I, I figured out now that he probably was thinking I would go down with the boat. Uh, it took me a long time to realize that. Um, and when I went on top the second time, and when I, when I, when he jumped overboard and left me there, that's when I, I was out of my body. In other words, I was watching myself go to the cork float and untie it, and then as I got in it. Uh, I knew that the, uh, one of the lines was still connected to the float, and I was very fearful that it was going to pull me under, you know, because I knew the boat was singing, sinking. Mm. Um, when And then once I was safe, the boat was gone immediately. Um, I huddled there, and I was fearful at that point. I was very fearful because I knew the captain had gone off the other side of the boat. I knew he was near. And so I tried to huddle in the dark and just be quiet and not be noticed. So do so you that, think at that point that you had figured out 
that, or that you thought, I mean, we can't even say figure it out since we don't know for sure, but um, were you thinking that the captain had killed your mother and brother? No, I, I hadn't thought that. Did, I hadn't, I hadn't, in my mind, I really hadn't um, thought about what had happened. I, I know I saw them there. I thought my father was still alive somewhere. You know, that's, that's, I didn't see the captain do anything, so I didn't, I didn't think, you know, I, I believed that an accident had happened. And for years and years and years, I called it the accident when, you know, as, as circumstantial evidence points out, it really wasn't an accident. So go ahead, continue with, with your story. Okay, oh, so, the, so my feelings and such. So then when, when daylight came, I, was, I looked around immediately and I couldn't see the captain anywhere. So at that point, I was relieved and I felt I was comfortable. I felt safe. I wasn't afraid. I, I you know, didn't doubt that I would be saved. And um, I just you know, went with the flow of what was happening. I, I adapted to my situation. Well, don't you? I mean, that was partly because you were in shock. Mm-hmm. Probably, yes. Because if you, you know, because if you had been able to really process things, I mean, it would have been frightening. Yeah. Being alone on the ocean. That's right. <laughs> we, need, we need to take another break. Um, my guests are Terry Duperault and Richard Logan. Uh, the book is called Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. When we come back, we'll talk more about that. This is an amazing story of survival. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guests, Terry Duperalt and Richard Logan, the co-authors of Alone Orphaned on the Ocean. Uh, before the break, Terry, you were telling about... Uh, you're, you know, being rescued and so on, being on the on the cork float. And um, how is it, like how over the years um, did you piece together what you think happened on the boat that night? Since, um, since you didn't, since your aunt and uncle with whom you went to live after the accident um, didn't believe in 1961, I guess they were, that was sort of, more common in those days that um, that people thought that they should keep tragedies away from children. I mean, that if you don't talk about it, that the child won't be feeling any of these feelings. Um, so they didn't really bring you to a psychiatrist uh, after you got home. So how did you start to piece all of this together? Well, it, it, that's the reason the book is coming out now is because yes. it has taken so, so long and and it's been through, you know, a lot of Richard has helped me figure this out. The two of us have um, gone over and over everything that happened, and he has helped me to figure it out. In fact, I, I went to a survivor's group, um, you know, when I was in my 30s, and I didn't feel that I belonged in that group because... Mm. I still called it the accident. I just, I didn't, I always had this belief that, you know, you can't accuse someone unless you see them do something. And so, therefore, hmm. I, I wanted to think good of Harvey. I didn't want to think that he had done something horrible. Uh-huh. And so I, I just think over the years it just, it took people like Richard to help me understand that Something terrible did happen, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting, um, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that um, you not only survive four days and four nights on the ocean alone, <laughs> um, but you also um, had to survive the rest of your life in the sense of, uh, you know, living in in a not being able to talk about it, nobody talking to you about it, uh, having this this elephant in the room as as you talk about in the book, um, and which must have been incredibly difficult. And then, of course, um, start growing up and essentially looking for your father 
in the men that you dated and married. You were ma- you were married um, four times, right? You're mar- you're yes, happily right. married now, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is very nice uh, to a man who is not a bad boy. Um, mm-hmm. But did have you these three men who you married before? Um, it seems to me that yes, you were looking for like a a good father figure, a good father, since um, you didn't really know, you know, you've never there, there's never really been uh, closure on where your father is or what happened to him. So it would be natural that you would be sort of looking for a good father figure, and yet at the same time, did you realize? Do you realize that you were picking men who were like Julian Harvey, the captain of the ship? These men who were liars, who were cheaters, and so on? I did not realize that, but I do now. (laughs) Do now as of this minute, or do now as you were writing the book, or what? No, I learned that um, when Dick and I were writing the book. I've known that for, yes, a long time. Yes. Um, I mean, you picked men who were charming, like Julian Harvey, and who were attractive, and who sort of charmed their way... um, into a marriage with you, uh, you know. But I also was looking for, the one thing in my father that I was looking for was the adventure. They seemed to be adventurous. <laughs> uh-huh. And and I think that was a, a part of it also. Yes. Um, but what was also interesting is that just like with when you were on the Bluebell and there was trouble because of this um, captain, um you you um and from which you had to escape i mean the, the captain was dangerous he wasn't just adventurous he was dangerous and you had to escape and um you you then developed this pattern of being with men who were like the captain and then you had to escape w- from them with your children yes the, no i think i find that a very interesting part of it too i mean some of the some of the psychology involves more depth psychology than other than other psychological aspects of the story but i think you're raising some absolutely fascinating questions in terms of uh what would go on beneath the surface so to speak yes so you know so you were still trying to um still trying to sort of find your way survive and and let's see when you were a teenager um you 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 saw a therapist briefly, correct? Who also didn't um, talk about the incident, like you were having boyfriend troubles or something, and and uh, he talked about things apparently with you on a superficial level instead of talking about how you would be afraid of developing um, intimate relationships with because because you were would be afraid of losing these people, like you had lost. Losing these men, losing these relationships, not just with men actually, but um, as you had lost, as you as you had lost your family, yes. And then, of course, you did ultimately um, wind up having when you were how old were you when you were in Germany and and as a, as an army wife when you did see a psychiatrist. That that was in 1981. Okay. And so that apparently did bring a lot of insight to you. Yes, it did. It did because I was at a point in my life where I was very uh, depressed and I thought, you know, I had no self-esteem. I thought I was just a bad, evil person and that the marriage was going bad because I was, it was me, I was just a horrible person. And 
And this, this psychiatrist, you know, really saved me because he told me, he said, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and so that was what I needed to hear. And we would work, you know, in sessions there. And I'm always grateful to him. Yes. And that, of course, relates to the survivor guilt. You know, what is it? Um, I mean, and this confusion, this, this, these unanswered questions as to what actually happened and somehow, you know, you survived and, and the other people didn't and, and I guess as a little child you blamed yourself. Right. Right. You know, she always, she always talked about her feeling guilty that she did not go see, check on her, uh, mother and brother more closely. She, she's talked about that quite a bit. You know, uh-huh. by today's lights, uh, a psychotherapist who would not go to the root of the problem and say, as in, as in Terry's case, I think we, we consider that outrageous, but it's important for, read, for listeners yeah. to realize that in 1961, there were tens of thousands of World War II veterans who had never uttered a word about their horrible experiences. Mm. People were still being diagnosed with cancer and not being told they had cancer. I mean, it was like it was a radically different era. We were just transitioning into a new era of becoming more open and understanding the importance of really processing things and talking about things. Imagine Terry Joe as an 11, 12-year-old when she comes back. She has a best friend, and she's not able to share with her best friend, you know, the guts of her life, so to speak. You know, it's just, and that, that's what best friends do. They share yeah. their 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 largest aspirations and their deepest fears. And, and, and she was really cut off. I, I've started referring to her as, as an amputated human being. She, mm-hmm. and she was just cut off from her whole past life, and she was cut off from a large part of what was both destructive in her life and transformative in her life. Mm-hmm. So, so um, when you first heard that Julian, the captain, had killed himself, what what was your what like how did you process that what did you think about that what 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 did you think was the reason he had done that i thought the reason he had done that was because he had told he had not told the truth uh-huh and i told the truth that i did believe that but but you that he hadn't told but did you understand why he didn't tell the truth like, well, if you didn't understand or didn't think at that point yet that he might have murdered, um, well, I mean, the story, I guess, did we, ever, did we explain that? <laughs> that, that the, uh, what you're thinking is, and, and um, uh, we, I guess we didn't finish where, when it was that you came to think this, but the idea, what you present in the book and the, and the general consensus of everything seems to point to his having, um, this having come from his having murdered his, wanting to murder his wife, uh, for her insurance money, and then your family um, coming upon that, or the wife not, I guess, what try, putting up a fight, and the her death not going down quietly as he had hoped. He had hoped that I guess that she, he would stab her, and, and the next morning, and and roll her off the boat, and the next morning he would um, say that she had she was missing, that she fell overboard. But then. Um, what you think is that your your father or your family um, that she she apparently he had scratch marks on him and so right. she apparently put up a fight and I guess when he found that it wasn't so easy to kill her uh, and she caused 
um, noises that brought your family there, that then he was faced with the problem of having witnesses to his to his murder. I, I think that's the most rational and reasonable inference to be to make from what we learned about what was learned about Harvey's past life and his recent past life, you know, subsequent to all of this, and just puzzling through over and over again what would be a reasonable sequence of events to explain the the result of everybody being either everybody having either disappeared or being being dead. Okay, we we need to take another break. Okay. Uh, we're talking about um, the story, the true story, uh, written in this new book called Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. And my guests are Richard Logan and Terry Duperalt. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. You know, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get back to the story. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're just um, touching on the highlights here. There's so much more to this uh, to this story, and I again recommend this book, Alone Orphaned on the Ocean, because um, it, it's like, you know, it's, it's like um, just this, this labyrinth, um, and there are so many, you know, it's especially for sleuths. I mean, it could be read for so many different reasons. One, because, of course, it's a great story of survival, but another for, you know, amateur sleuths. <laughs> There's no end to scenarios that you could come up with. Um, as to what happened, you know, one, one of the things I want to um, ask you about, Terry, is um, you mentioned that on one of the uh, visits to the islands, you know, be- this happened a few days, the, the nightmare happened, um, the nightmare night happened uh, after you had already been, you and your family had already been visiting some islands and having a lovely trip. And on one of the beaches, um, you talk about how you noticed, you look back at the ship, and you saw the captain looking at you. You were wearing a bathing suit, and you saw him looking at you in a, I guess, salacious, you know, lewd kind of manner that made you feel uncomfortable. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and, and whether, whether you, in some way that, um, in some way his history, let's, perhaps he had a history of having been a pedophile, well, just talk a little bit about that. Well, I don't, I don't know if there was a history of that or not, but what I can say is I can remember even the bathing suit I was wearing, and I was at that, you know, an 11-year-old I was just developing, so I was very self-conscious of how my body looked, and I was not real comfortable with development, let's put it that way. And so I suppose with him staring at me, it brought that to light. To my, you know, to myself that you know he's, I'm getting breasts and you know I didn't like that, so that's all I can address to that. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I started wondering, thinking about that. I mean, there wasn't. You don't write anything. There isn't anything in the book, and I haven't read anything about any uh, any known. Um, you know, his having been convicted of being a pedophile or anything like that, but you do talk about your third husband turning out to be a pedophile. And um, when, you know, since, um, as I talked about before, there seemed to be this pattern of unconsciously, of course, not consciously, picking men who um, were like the captain in so many ways, I just wondered whether there might be that in his history and whether you you know, ever worried whether, I mean, he was found, what what did you make of the fact that he was found um, when he was rescued, your little sister was in the, um, what, the dinghy with him, deceased, and um, and he claimed that he had picked her up from the water, that she was already dead, but that he had, you know, scooped her up from the ocean, um, and yet... And yet there was some controversy as to how long she had been dead. What that that worrying about your sister must haunt you as well, and what actually happened to her? Yes, most definitely did. I always thought that perhaps either he picked her up, he had her in the dinghy, and he either drowned her, or 
you know, he did find her, and she was already dis- dead drown- from drowning. That's, I always believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor, you know, yeah. as far as, uh, I think it's, it might be relevant here to point out that Terry was strikingly pretty yeah. at the age of 11 and tall, and so she might well have looked more womanly, as it were, yes. uh, than, her, than her age. Um, and, you know, come to think, think of it, um, there, were some resem- there was some resemblance between you as a younger wife of his, that his current, the wife that, he, that was in the boat. I mean, you were much prettier, <laughs> but um, you both had sort of short blonde hair. Oh, see, I never looked at it that way, but yeah, she was very attractive. His his wife, Mary Dean, was very, very beautiful woman. Okay, I, I mean, I guess I just had the one picture to look at of her and of you, for that matter. Uh, well, no, there were a couple of pictures of you, but but there was a little bit of a resemblance. Oh, see, I never looked at it that way. I never did until this moment either. <laughs> but well, you know, um, there are, that, that's another. You know, the, the as part, part of the there are two areas in which you can do a lot of sleuthing. One is uh, sleuthing as far as what happened on the boat, and the other is sleuthing as far as what's going on beneath the surface psychologically here, especially with this the captain. I mean, if this ever becomes a movie, whoever plays the captain in a movie is going to win an Oscar mm-hmm. because it's such a complex. Yes. Shining Knight character with such a complicated, devious dark side and, and all of that. Yes. So who knows? Yes. Um, has there ever been, or do you think now with this book, that there might be any kind of, um, was there any ever any kind of expedition, or do you think there'll be an expedition to try to locate the, the boat and locate whatever can be located at this point? Well, it's always been a dream of Dick and, and mine that it, it that if that would happen, maybe it could really tell us what happened. Um, yes. And, and Dick is and Dick, you might want to talk about because you've pursued it somewhat. I tried to persuade the Navy to uh, incorporate searching for the bluebell into some of their deep sea exercises mm-hmm. uh, way back in the early 1990s. It, it kind of, uh, I, uh, you mentioned labyrinth. I went through a labyrinth of officers and finally ended up in a dead-end street. So, um, But at least the seed has been planted, and that's one of the reasons that is mentioned in the book. And it is a reflection of the continuing courage Terry has shown all along to face up to the truth of what happened. Like when she had the sodium amytal, and when I when I started presenting different scenarios to her that I thought were provided compelling evidence that the captain had indeed, you know, killed her family. Well, I guess it's, yes, I guess, um, I guess it's hard to imagine anything else happening. Certainly, certainly no one in your family was violent. I mean, and, and there wasn't a storm, as he said. I mean, I guess, um, you know, could could there have been something that that his wife and your father um, uh, found out about him, or I don't know. I mean, you could we could go on for hours and hours coming up with scenarios, but mm-hmm. um, 
but yes, I, I think this would make a fabulous movie. I mean, it just it just uh, cries out to be a movie. It's it's so incredibly dramatic and so heartwarming in the end um, to see how you did survive. And as I said, not just the the four days and four nights. Um, well, not just the first of all getting off the boat. Um, but the four days and four nights in the ocean where you were dehydrated, the sun was beating down during the day, the evenings were freezing, um, you, you, know, you were in <laughs> almost dead when, when they rescued you and, and you, um, you came back to life pretty, um, pretty robustly in the hospital pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, obviously you were put on this earth to do something important, and I think, and you have three wonderful children and grandchildren, and and um, and I think also to write this book because, um, be ah, oh, and here we go with the music, <laughs> to write this book to inspire people uh, to survive all kinds of things. I mean, yes, probably uh, most of us will not find ourselves on a boat where the captain murders the, our family and and so on, um, but. In this world that is becoming more and more dangerous, um, we are likely to find ourselves, or more likely than in 1961, to find ourselves in situations that we do need to survive. Um, and your and this story, your story, is really one that it comes at a very important time. It's good that you two were uh, collaborating for 20 years because you know it was it was um, it was hatching something that is very important to come out at this time. So thank you for sharing your story, Terry Duperalt and Richard Logan. Thank you for being uh, such an expert in the psychology of lone survival. And again, everyone, the book is called Alone Orphaned on the Ocean. Um, you can find it in bookstores everywhere, on Amazon and so on. Um, this book is becoming quite, quite a bestseller. So go out and get it because we've just... Uh, hit on the highlights. And thank you both for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Again, the book is called Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. And my name is Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.